Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, welcome back. Welcome back to season, season three. three, everybody. It's uh, rock and roll time. So today we're doing a big puffer to kick the season off. How to Win Friends and Influence People. The Only Book You Need to Lead You to Success by Big Bad Papa Boy Dale Carnegie. Mate, this is an old book. I believe 1936 was first published. So it's eight decades old. It's perennial. It's uh, been a long, long, long time bestseller. A lot of people get a lot out of it. Absolutely. Great book. I think it's one of the first books I ever read mm. and same for you. Mate, it was uh, the very first book I ever read. It, like in terms of, you know, probably three and a half years ago, I started to read a bit of nonfiction, personal development stuff. Mm. It was the first one. It was my favorite book at the time because it was the only one. But it stayed my favorite for a good year and a half as well after that. Mm. It absolutely changed the way I deal with and approach people as well. So, yeah, it had a big impact on me as well. So, yeah, incredible book. And I hope we are able to pull some gold so the listeners can take something away today. That's it, man. man it's, a real, it's not a big book, but it's like quite long in terms of it's got a lot of stuff in there. There's four parts. Uh, and we're only going to be able to cover the first two, I think. So part one, fundamental techniques for handling people. And part two, six ways to make people like you. So we're going to go through those. Yeah, absolutely. So research by the Carnegie Institute of Technology show that 15% of one's financial success is due to technical knowledge. And the other 85% is due to skill in human engineering. So the, the ability to... Uh, influence and lead people yeah that's it mate it's uh obviously technical skill is a very baseline you need it but then all the success beyond that is about how you deal with other people Mm. how to win friends and influence people so chapter one is if you want to gather the honey don't kick over the beehive (laughs) that's it mate that's it i reckon just uh Dale Carnegie was pretty much the inventor of, of clickbait, man. All of, his, all of his chapter titles, you'll hear the chapter titles later that are real clickbaity. Yeah, that's great. Um, and he kicks it off with his story about this real bad boy of the 1930s called Two Gun Crowley. So on May 7, 1931, he was the most sensational manhunt in New York had ever witnessed, had come to its climax. So after weeks of search, they found Two Gun Crowley, the killer in his sweetheart's apartment, just chilling out and trying to avoid the police. So at that point, the police started firing at him and Crowley was firing back. One policeman went inside the house and Crowley just shot him in the head and then shot him over the, the body again in the prostrate body. And, you know, but he asked the question, like, how did Crowley regard himself? And they actually found out because during this manhunt and this search, Crowley actually wrote down a letter to himself and it, and it said, under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one, one that would do nobody any harm. <laughs> That's it, mate. It's a very big distinct difference between what he thinks of himself and how he acts. Mm. And uh, what Carnegie says this reveals is that no one likes to criticize themselves. So no matter what they think, no matter how wrong it may be objectively or how bad we perceive it, nobody criticizes themselves. <laughs> nobody really likes to admit their own fault. Mm, absolutely. So everyone, no one would ever think that they're doing something, the wrong thing, really. Mm. They're doing what they think is the best on their own resources. And another one was Al Capone who said, I've spent the best years of my life giving people the lighter pleasures, helping them have a good time, and all I get is abuse, the existence of a hunted man. So he was the mm. number one public enemy of the whole USA. But Capone didn't condemn himself. He regarded himself as a public benefactor. Yeah, mate, it's, a, it's interesting how obviously everyone looks at them, themselves this way. And what it uh, is implying here is that criticism is futile. Nobody believes that they're wrong. So if you go and tell someone they're wrong, you criticize them, they're not going to take too kindly to that. So B.F. Skinner, legendary um, psychologist, he had these experiments on animals and he found that it's far, far, far better. An animal learns a lot more and retains a lot more of that learning 
if you reward their good behavior rather than punish their bad behavior. So what he's saying here that it applies to humans as well in that we don't like to be criticized, uh, that we thirst for approval and we dread condemnation. So he's saying that if you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. If you want someone to like you, don't criticize them because they're not criticizing themselves and then they're not going to take too kindly to it. One of my favorite quotes from the book, he says, let's realize criticisms are like homing pigeons. They always return home. So Ooh. if you give someone shit, Mm. You know, eventually they're like homing pigeons. People are going to start mm. giving you shit behind your back. So you better not, not mm. talking crap behind anyone's back. Yeah, that's interesting, man. He, he tells a couple of stories about Lincoln, how he writes, he wrote a letter condemning this uh, one of the leaders uh, in the war, saying how, how shitty he was. And it really didn't work. So he realized that that's not the best way to go about it. Another example is Mark Twain. If ever he got pissed off at someone, he used to write them just like a scathing letter. If he got a bad review in the newspaper, he'd write to how stupid they were. Like some of the examples he says, oh, you wouldn't know what you were talking about because of the mush of, his, of your decra- uh, decayed brain or you deserve a burial permit and I'm going to make sure that you get one. Things like that, just like <laughs> obscene stuff where he just got pissed off. He, a, a switch flicked in his mind. He just went over the edge and he wrote these scathing letters. Mm. But thankfully, his wife took the letters out of the post to make sure they were never sent because that would be ridiculous. So I guess a Monday application is if, if, you get a, uh, if you get pissed off at someone or you get a bad email and you want to reply with a real angry email to them. Hmm. Mate, just, I think we had an example with someone who we would try to interview, who we did interview on the podcast <laughs> where um, one bloke we've previously mentioned who we didn't really enjoy the interview and I was going to send him a real scathing email and you stopped <laughs> me from it. Mate, I've stopped you, mate. <laughs> There's nothing to gain from it. <laughs> nothing to gain, man. Absolutely. Mate, you still want to send it. I still I was, want to send it. I reckon every week I've got to hold you back. <laughs> yeah. But So I think if you, if you want to send a, a letter or an email, uh, write it as a draft, sleep on it and revisit it the next day and I reckon you're going to tone it down a couple of notches if you go revisit the yeah. next day. So if you're going to send a real angry email, we'll sit on it for 24 hours and mm. revisit Lincoln had an incredible quote, a really wise quote that reads, don't criticize, they're just doing what we would do under similar circumstances. Mm. So it kind yeah. of ties back yeah, to that true, first man. point of, you know, if even if some people are doing something that might seem objectively bad, everyone will find reasons to justify and rationalize yes. why they're doing the right thing, no matter how e- evil they are on the evil spectrum. Yeah. So if you criticize them, you know, it doesn't really fit what they... Yes. Think in their worldview. They think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's like that cognitive dissonance where if they think they're doing the right thing and you come and tell them they're doing the wrong thing, it's not going to work mm. in your favor. So he says that, uh, you know, any fool can criticize, condemn and complain and most fools do, but it takes character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. So, you know... A great man shows his greatness by the way that he treats little men. And Confucius says, don't complain about the snow on your neighbor's roof when your own doorstep is unclean. Yes. So obviously not everyone's doing everything perfect. You've got plenty of things that aren't perfect about yourself. Mm. And it's, 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 a, it's an error to go out and try and criticize other people rather than trying to understand and forgive. Mm. Carnegie ends the, the chapter with a quote, do you know someone you would like to regulate and improve? Good, that's fine. I'm an all, all in favor for it, but why not begin on yourself? It's a lot more profitable and a lot less dangerous. That's it. Mm. Very true, mate. So that's, that's principle one. one. Don't criticize, condemn, or complain. Fantastic. Mate, chapter two, the big secret of dealing with people. Mm. Mate, it makes you want to read this, this section, doesn't it? It's a good clickbait. Absolute clickbait, <laughs> isn't it? The, the inventor of clickbait, it's great. So there's only one way under high heaven to get anybody to do anything. That's by making the other person want to do it in the first mm. place. 
Mm. Yeah. So Sigmund Freud said that the everything you and I do springs from two motives, the sex urge and the desire to be great. And the deepest urge in human nature is the desire to be important. Yes, exactly, man. Lincoln says that everybody likes a compliment. William James said the deepest principle in human nature is the craving to be appreciated. It wasn't like a longing or a want or a desire. It was the craving to be appreciated. And just to double up on what you said, um, the deepest urge in human nature is the desire to be important. Yeah. So with that in mind, you know, this desire makes us go out to wear the latest styles, drive the latest cars why we want our children to be so brilliant. And he asked the question, imagine what miracle you and I can achieve by giving these people or people out there honest appreciation. Yes. Because this is the thing people are craving so deeply. That's it, man. Honest appreciation and it gives them a feeling of importance, which is that, that big key there. Mm. He talks about Charles Swab, who Andrew Carnegie, not Dale Carnegie, employed as to run his whole steel business so he was paid a million dollars a year which is a ridiculous sum of money for this the 1930s like, this is right? 100 years ago yeah <laughs> he said you know schwab said the reason for his success was because uh, something that should be hung up in every home and every school every shop and every office in the land words that children ought to memorize words that will transform your life and mine if we live by them and he says i consider my ability to arouse enthusiasm enthusiasm among my people the greatest asset i possess and the way to develop the best that is in a person is by appreciation and encouragement that's great man he also he goes on to say that you know there is nothing that so kills ambition of a person as criticisms from superiors and so charles schwab says i never criticize anyone i believe in giving a person incentive to work so i'm anxious to praise but loathe to find fault I like to, if I like anything, I'm hearty in my approbation and lavish in my praise, yeah. which will come back a lot. And that is just saying that criticism, like in the, the first principle, criticism doesn't work to motivate people. Instead, you know, find something they're doing right, give appreciation, give encouragement, and ultimately be, uh, be uh, hearty in your approbation and lavish in your praise. Mm. And one common theme throughout this book is if you're giving things like appreciation or you're really, you know, with other principles coming up later, everything has to be really sincere. If it's on the surface, he says it's flattery. If mm. it's real deep and it's coming from the heart, then it's appreciation. Yes. So, mate, flattery is, is a wank. That's when people yeah. are trying too hard. You Just can see right through it, man. And it doesn't work. Whereas mm. it's got to be honest. It's got to be sincere. Mm. So um, flattery, yeah. yeah, seldom works with discerning people. It's shallow, selfish, and insincere. And the difference is one comes from the heart, mm. and one just comes from the teeth. Now there's a cool little saying: "Once I did bad, and that I heard ever. Twice I good did good, but that I heard never." Saying that. The average person, the average manager, if you do something bad, they're going to rip you to shreds. If you do a lot of things good, they're never going to appreciate you. They're never going to say anything good about you. So that's a bad manager, obviously. We don't want to be doing that. Yeah, it's an absolute shame, but I think it is the case. More people like mm. that. And it's completely a complete ineffective strategy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He says with our thinking, when we are not engaged or thinking about a definite problem, we usually spend 95% of time thinking uh, about just ourselves. Mm which I think is definitely the case. So he's saying if we just stop for a little bit of that time to think, stop thinking about ourselves for a little while and spend a bit of that time to think about another person and what their good points are that we admire, we don't have to resort to flattery. So we can find things that we can be sincerely appreciative of the other person. So just stop thinking about yourself, think about the other person, about the good traits of them, honest ones. Yeah, exactly, man. If you're spending 95% of your time thinking about yourself, 
when it comes time to try and appreciate someone, it's going to just uh, default service. to flattery, service yeah. level stuff. If you can take, you know, 5, 10, 15% of that time and think about someone else, you're not going to have to flatter them because you're actually going to find something that you truly appreciate and it can be sincere then. Mm. So next time you're at the pub and it's a great steak, mm. you know, send a note to the chef saying you really enjoyed it. Mm. Or next time a salesperson shows extra courtesy, please mention it to him and so forth. Exactly, man. He says... You know, try leaving a friendly trail of little sparks of gratitude on your daily trips. You'll be surprised how they will be. They will set small flames of friendship that will uh, be beacons on your next visit. So yeah. he's saying that you know, if you go out there and everyone you come across, just do something little nice for them everywhere you go, mm. and then over time that'll build to the big flame. Mm, absolutely phenomenal. That's the flame we're after. So that's principle two: give honest and sincere appreciations. That's it, mate. Chapter three of part one. He who can do this has the whole world with him. He who cannot walks a lonely way. Mate, when you just read that title, you just you're just so keen to read the whole chapter. <laughs> it's so like he, um, he, yeah, it's like you know the you know the next episode on Lost. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you're watching Netflix, you have to stick around for the next you episode. You have to so binge you do it, long reading sessions after reading this book. <laughs> mate, so he he talks about how he loves this is Dale Carnegie. He loves strawberries and cream. Absolutely frothed on it. Loved eating it, and he also loved going fishing. But he found that uh, if he tried to bait the hook with strawberries and cream, he couldn't catch anything. He thought it was really, for some strange reason, the fish actually preferred worms. So he realized that, you know, when he went fishing, he didn't think about what he wanted. He didn't think about, oh, I want strawberries and cream, so I bet everyone does. He thought, what does the fish want? And the fish actually wants a worm, and he caught a lot more fish. So the key here is you've got to bait the hook to suit the fish. Mm, yep, he dangled a worm or a grasshopper just in front of the fish just saying, wouldn't you like to have that? <laughs> in a real creepy kind of way. Mate, so every act you've ever performed since the day you were born was performed because you wanted something. Mm. So you've got to think, uh, just because if I want the Jones man to do something, just by me trying to give him the strawberries and cream isn't going to help. I need to think, what does he want and what can I uh, bait the hook with to get him to want to do it? Mm. So, yeah, if you want to influence people, he says, why talk about what we want? He says, that's childish. It's Mm. absurd. Of course, you're interested in what you want. You are eternally interested in it, but no one else is. Mm, Exactly. (laughs) No one else gives a shit what you want. (laughs) They they only care about what they want. Exactly. Exactly. Henry Ford, obviously a very successful man, says, if there is any one secret of success, it lies in the ability to get the other person's point of view and to see things from their angle as well as from your own. Mm. And when you do it, you've got to communicate with that in mind, communicate to them in terms of what they want as well. So the only way exactly. to influence people is to talk about what they want and yes. then just show them how they can get what they want. Don't worry about what you want. Exactly, man. And the reason being is that the world is full of people who are constantly grabbing and they're self-seeking and self-serving. So rare is the individual who unselfishly tries to serve others. And he has an enormous advantage because there's a little competition mm. so if you can be thinking about what do they want rather than what do i want you're setting yourself way ahead of the pack there mm. yeah that's it mate so pretty much uh the first and only way is to arouse in the other person an eager want and he, he brings back this quote he who can do this has the whole world with him he who cannot walks a lonely way so mm. principle number three arouse in the other person an eager want oh it's good stuff mate so that was part one and that was part one which was the fundamental techniques for handling people those three principles there Mm. so principle one don't criticize condemn or complain so think about guys like crowley or capone so even the most evil people in the world they rationalize why they're good people and if you criticize such people you damage their ego and it's dangerous Mm. for yourself 
Principle two was uh, give honest and sincere appreciation. Not so flattery. It has not to be flattery. has to be honest and sincere. Mm, absolutely. So out of your ninety five percent of the time thinking about yourself, take a small cut out of out of that. Think about the other person and the things that you genuinely admire about them, and let them know mm. about it. Nice. And then principle three was arouse uh, in the other person an eager want. Obviously, everyone's thinking about themselves and what they want, but you've got to think about the other person and what does the other person want. Mate, I think that part one is goes up there is just some of the best stuff I've ever read. It's great stuff, mate. And we're only a quarter of the way there. There's, there's three more parts, mm. which is good. Mate, so part two, six ways to make people like you. Yep. So the first way out of this six is do this and you'll be welcome anywhere. Oh, tell me more, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, he says here that you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than mm. you can in two years by trying to get other people to be interested in you. Yeah, that's a, that's a ripper quote. It's very true, man. You've got to be looking to be... You got to, In order to be interesting, you've got to be interested first. Mm. And he, he says this in terms of dogs, man, and this is so true. Mm. He said, did you ever stop to think that a dog is the only animal out of humans included that doesn't even have to work for a living? Yeah. So a hen <laughs> has to lay eggs, a cow has to give milk, we have to go to work every day, a canary has to sing. But a dog, all it has to do is just give people nothing but love and, yep. and interest in people and it can just has the easiest <laughs> life out of everything. Exactly, mate. <laughs> Lay around all day, get fed. Yeah. Doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> it's phenomenal, mate. Mm. He says it is the individual who is the who is not interested in his fellow men who has greatest difficulties in life and provides greatest injury to others. It is from among such individuals that all human failures spring. Exactly, mate. So those guys who just don't who aren't interested in people at all. They're just idiots. That's it, man. They're if fun. you merely try to impress people and get other people interested in us, we'll never have many true, sincere friends. Friends, real friends are not made in that way of just trying to impress people, trying to get other people to like us, trying to get other people to be interested in us. Instead, we've got to be looking at externally, looking what, what, what about other people can I learn? And there was a quote from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Every man I meet is my superior in some way in that I learn of him. So everyone you meet, and this has come up in a lot of books before as well, everyone you meet is going to be better than you at something. And so it's up to you to be interested in them in that you can learn something from them. Yeah, I absolutely love that. So yeah, that's the trick. You're going to become genuinely interested in other people. So if you're walking down the shopping center and the person you haven't seen in seven years since year nine walks through, you don't just like put your head down and walk past and pretend you didn't see them. Yeah. That's the opposite. The other way is you turn around and you go with a big smile, go up to them and go, hey, hey, you know, Johnny, I haven't seen you in eight years. I'm probably not going to do that myself. Yet, <laughs> I'm not at that level. Do but you if you're taking principles yeah. from the book or, you know, if someone calls you, when you answer the phone, give them a hello as if you're glad that they called you and you're glad to speak to them. So just showing mm. genuine interest that, you know, they're reaching out to you. That's it, mate. The Roman poet Publilius Cyrus said, we are interested in others when they are interested in us. So principle one of the six ways to get people to like us is to be genuinely interested in other people. Yeah, really good. Chapter two, a simple way to make a good first impression. Mm. He says, action speaks louder than words. So, and this is all about smiling. And when you smile, it's saying to someone subconsciously, I like you, you make me happy and I'm glad to see Mm. you. That's it. And again, he says that dogs and babies do this perfectly (laughs) because whenever a dog sees you, like say you've been at work, you first get home, the dog is so excited to see you and it makes you excited to see them. 
Hmm. Whereas he, he talks about how he went to this fancy dinner party in New York. A woman had just inherited a lot of money. And from that money, she used it to buy a nice fur coat and she bought some diamonds and pearls. But he said that she didn't do anything to fix her face. <laughs> he's not talking about plastic surgery. He's saying that her face radiated sourness and selfishness. She had a scowl on her face mm. and even the diamonds and pearls couldn't hide the fact that she wasn't happy to see him. Mm. Absolutely. So, if you're a bit like this old lady, uh, he says William James is a psychologist. says action seems to follow feeling. So, mm. even if you are miserable and you can't smile, which is go around with a smile and then the feeling will follow the action and it'll be a positive feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. So, we, you know, most people think that the action comes after the feeling. So, you feel happy and then the action is you smile. But he's saying that it actually happens in reverse and uh, in sync. So, if you smile, then you start to become happy. Mm. So, he's saying if you walk around with a, with a smile on your face and looking for happiness, you're going to find happiness more and which will lead you to smile more. Mm. So, he says that like a bit of a tip here is to use like a doorway as a bit of a trigger. So, every time you walk through a door, use it as a trigger to think, stand up straight, put your shoulders back, put your chest out and whack a big smile on your face. And if you do that enough times, you just realize that it's better to smile and it's better to be happy. Yeah, it's really good stuff. So, that's the bait in this chapter was a simple way to make a good first impression. <laughs> and the principle is smile. That's it, man. It's good it's stuff. It's an easy one. It's um, pretty important. Chapter three. If you don't do this, you are headed for trouble. Yeah, so he says Carnegie, big boy Carnegie interviewed Jim Farley, who was the Postmaster General of the United States. I'm not really sure what that is. But <laughs> let's assume it's something really I think important. he runs, runs a post office, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, we'll say that. And, and asked what was the secret to his success. Carnegie guessed, I understand you can call 10,000 people by their first names. Mm. And big, big Jim said, no, you're wrong, Dale. I can recall 50,000. Mm. That's it, mate. The average person is more interested in their own name than all the other names on earth combined. Mm. So, it's a simple thing to try and remember somebody's name. You know, most, most of the but, time... but difficult. <laughs> simple, but difficult. Yeah. Mate, most of the time, you know, you, if you can put yourself in this situation, which I'm sure everybody's been in hundreds of times, you're at some kind of event, you meet someone, you introduce them, you shake hands, both say, you say each other's name, probably within one minute of talking, you've forgotten what their name is. Yeah. And it makes it very, very awkward to, to come back from that. Mm. So, you've got to be conscious of trying to remember someone's name and realize that it's so important to them mm. to remember the name and to, you know, say it constantly. There, yeah, yeah, there's all different strategies out there to remembering names. One, which is on topic I heard from another podcast recently, and there's a whole list of things. So, he said the most important thing to begin with is have a reason why. So, if you mm. if this person is coming up to you, understand why and be genuinely interested in why you need to know their name, whether it be, you know, gain a new friend, business or anything like that. And that's one of the biggest steps to, on the direction of remembering names. That's it, mate. Uh, that's sort of, uh, it was a pretty short one for me, a shorter chapter. But principle three, remember that a person's name to that person is the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Mm. So consciously try to remember names and, and use it. And if someone remembers your name, you do really appreciate it. Mm. And on the same end, it's so bloody awkward if they remember your <laughs> name and you don't. It's nothing worse than that. Man, definitely um, harps back to one of the things we said earlier, that the, the biggest driver is that need to feel important. Mm. And if you remember someone's name and use it, it gives them that sense of a feeling of importance. Yeah. So, that's principle three. The fourth one is with the bait, an easy way to become a good conversationalist. Now, he talks about he was at this party. There was a kooky old dude that no one was really talking to because he had all these wacky stories of mm. things he'd done in life. And so, Dale went over to him and, and just asked him questions, became interested in him, asked him a lot of questions, talked to him for hours 
and realized that he didn't talk anything about himself. He just kept asking questions about this other guy. Hmm. The next day, uh, the, the guy hit him up again and said, that was the best conversation I've ever had. You're the best person I've ever spoken to. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. He's got, he's got another similar story here. He's, he was at a, a party and this lady came up to him and asked, oh, Mr. Carnegie, uh, she found out that Carnegie's been traveling Europe. She asked him, well, tell me about the wonderful places you visited and you've seen in Europe. And then she sat down and then she meant to, mentioned that she returned from Africa. So Carnegie just turned it on her, mm-hmm. spoke about Africa. Oh, Africa, how interesting. And she spoke for an, about an hour about Africa. And he says the whole reason her question in the first place was asking about mm. Europe was so Carnegie could start talking to about, about Africa to expand her own ego. Yeah. So, you know, he let her... Expand yeah. her own ego through through just you know being interested in in her in her journey. Yeah, exactly. And similar conclusion, she said to everyone, "He's the most stimulating and the most interesting conversationalist." When he really <laughs> didn't really probably say much at all. Yeah, exactly. Even though you know it says here that um, being like they think you're a good conversationalist when really all you were was a good listener. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a I've, I've, this was a cool thing here. He says, if you want to know how to make people shun you, to laugh at you behind your back, and even despise you, here's the recipe: never listen to anyone for long. Talk incessantly about yourself, <laughs> and if you have an idea whilst the other person is talking, don't wait for them to finish. Just bust right in, interrupt them in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> so that's, if you want someone to laugh at you, shun you, or despise you, then mm. that's that's the way to do it. Oh, absolutely. He says people are so concerned about what they're going to say next, and I think this mm. is one of the best takeaways of the book. But people are so concerned about what they're going to, to say next that they do not keep their ears open. So very mm. important people have told me that they prefer good listeners to good talkers, but the ability to listen seems rarer than almost any good trait. Definitely. It is true. So before reading this book, I never listened to someone. I'd always mm. be thinking in my head, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? But after reading this, you can actually just genuinely listen to the other person. And it really, just doing that and that change can absolutely change your life. So true, man. It's again, like sort of seven habits, seek first to understand then to be understood. It's important to listen first. And speak second. He says a person's toothache means more to them than a famine in China, which kills a million people. <laughs> mate, everyone's selfish, but that's true, mate. That's true. Oh, mate, I wouldn't, put, I wouldn't put some people like Peter Singer in that category. <laughs> mate, Peter Singer, would, he wouldn't care about his toothache. <laughs> mate, so he says if, if you aspire to be a good conversationalist, be an attentive listener. To be interesting, be interested. Ask questions that the other persons will enjoy answering and encourage them to talk about themselves and their accomplishments. So principle four, be a good listener and encourage others to talk about themselves. Ooh, it's a papa. That's it, mate. Number five is how to interest people. Man, this is a a very short chapter for me. Absolutely, me too. Uh, President Roosevelt said, the raw road to a person's heart is to talk about things he or she treasures most. Mm. He says that talking... To the other person's interests pays off for both them and for you. Yeah, because you, you, because it's coming back to that quote a little bit about everyone else has something that you don't know or is superior to you in some way. Mm. So it's you can really learn something from everyone you encounter. And what Big Theodore Roosevelt used to do is when someone was coming over for a meeting the next day, he would stay up the night before and find out mm. what this person was interested in, come somewhat learned on it, and then he could ask questions the next day. And then through that, after all these meetings, he learned a little bit from everyone and every encounter he had. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's, that's great, man. They said that Roosevelt, everyone was so impressed that he could go to uh, you know, a country town and speak to a, a cowboy 
And the next day, you could go to New York City and talk to a, a fancy Wall Street banker or an international diplomat. And in both cases, have something to talk about that was in the other person's interest, both mm. the cowboy and the international diplomat. Yeah, so it's a bit duplicate for some of the things we've already spoken about. But yeah, talk in terms of other people's interests because they don't really give a shit about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. And, and chapter six, how to make people like you instantly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just as a, an example, so Carnegie one day was in the line of the register at, at the post office and the little skinny pimply teenager he had a nice head of hair, but he was pimply and just looked really miserable in his day to job. And Carnegie and you thought can, so. You can imagine that at the post office, you know, there's probably been 15 people in line. Half of those people complained it was too expensive. Half complained about how long the line was, how this little kid was doing a shit job, and all this stuff. And he would have been pretty down about himself. Yeah. So Carnegie thought to himself, you know what? I'm going to make this person like me. So he asked himself, what is something about this person I can honestly admire? And he, you know, was looking at him, and there wasn't much because he had his, <laughs> his pimples popping out, and I'm adding a bit of salt and pepper there. But uh, <laughs> he did have a good uh, head of hair. So Carnegie said, um, "You know, I certainly wish I had your head of hair." And then the little pimply kid had a big smile, and his whole day was was brightened up, and everything. <laughs> Mate, this is one in the book where I put a lot of question marks next to it because it seems very surface level. <laughs> just having a good head of hair. But um, a good one just following from this. So Carnegie said this story to a public lecturer and mm. someone stood up and said, oh, but what did you want to get out of him? Yes. And Carnegie replied, if you are so contemptibly selfish that we can't radiate a little bit of happiness and pass on a little bit of honest appreciation without getting something in return, then you're going to be met with some of the failure that you rightly deserve. No, that's, um, that's a big statement, but it's true. I think it's important at this point of the episode, as we've gone through, this is our ninth principle we've gone through, of getting people to like us and try to influence people. The wrong question to ask is, what do you want to get out of this person? So it's not about trying to manipulate people. It's not about trying to use them. It's not trying to suck them in, make them like you just so you can screw them over and, and get what you want out of them. Ultimately, these things used in the right way is just about being a genuinely good person yeah so you become someone that others want to have around you become someone that people want to trust you become someone that people want to talk to yes they can be used for nefarious means you can probably use it to suck people in and con them but i think if you've listened this far we're going to trust you that you're going to use them for good mm. and use them to just become a good person mm. well i don't think you can, I, I wouldn't think you can use them for bad because the no, only way to use can. them you have to be come from a Mm. a place of sincerity in that's the first true. place that's true well, I think this is it's a bit of a con man's handbook I reckon um, <laughs> into, but I think if it comes down to sincerity though you need the right intentions definitely absolutely a lot of these tactics you know I've, I've had people try and use them on me mm. and he talks about the book you know if you want to make someone really uh, take on an idea make it as if they came up with it themselves and yes. I've had people insincerely do that to me and I just think they're a dickhead really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mate, he goes on about this, how to make people like you instantly. He says the golden rule, as Jesus said, you know, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. So if you think about it, if you think about yourself, you want uh, recognition of your true worth. You want the approval of those who you come in contact with. You want a feeling that you're important in your little world. You don't want to listen to cheap, insincere flattery but you do crave sincere attention. So if you think about all these things that you want, other people want them as well. And he says, importantly, you don't have to wait until you're the ambassador of France or you're the head of the clam bake committee of your local chapter <laughs> to <laughs> use these philosophies. Him. He says that anybody can use this magic any day. Mm. So you don't have to wait till you become important to try and make others feel good. You can do it right now. Mm. 
Mate, I remember the f- straight after I read this book, I was working at a pub at the time, the pub where me and you both worked at called the mm. Tudor Inn in Cheltenham. And there was this guy who walked in and he just sat at the bar by himself at, at the end of the bar, all lonely. And I chatted to him for about an hour talking about him working on the on the fish on the on the dockyards mm-hmm. and he went in really miserable and he walked out one of the happiest you know glowing yeah nice. probably he's been in a long time but it's just using principles in this book and it does you know help other people exactly man and just to hark back to earlier we said that you know that feeling of importance is one of the biggest drivers the principle six is make other people feel important and do it sincerely so that's the end of the of part two, which was the six ways to make people like you. Just as a part three is how to win people to your way of thinking, and part four is be a leader, how to change people without giving offence or arousing resentment. Um, but obviously, mate, we're halfway through the book, and this is a regular length episode, so we'll, we'll have to leave you to read those for yourself. Yeah, yeah, definitely, it's a must read for everybody, mm. um, mate. As it, so, it was the very first book I wrote, and for you, for uh, I read, and for a year and a half, it was my favourite book. Mate, reading it the second time, I think there was a lot of stories and a lot of like old examples that didn't resonate with me the second time around. But I think as of if it's you know one of the first books you read or the first time you're coming across this material, I think it's super important. Yeah, it's basic stuff. It's stuff that you can apply right away, and I think it's really important to to win friends and influence people. Mm. On the surface level, before you buy the book, you read this whole "How to Win Friends and Influence People." It sounds like it's all about it sounds cheesy, it sounds cheesy, and somewhat all about manipulation. Mm. But it's not. It's, yeah. it's just been a good good person. <laughs> Definitely, man. Mate, so we, um, we just recently went back and did our personal ratings out of 10 for all the books we've done so far. I'm going to give How to Win Friends and Influence People a 9 out of 10, which mm. is pretty high. I reckon uh, before reading it the second time, it would have been a 10 out of 10 just from the, the bias that I've held for the last three years. I'll, I'll give it a 9 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going to go an 8.5 out of 10. Mate, there's no halves. It's a, it's an eight or a nine. Mate. Okay, we'll go eight. eight. <laughs> round. <laughs> we'll round it down. Yeah. This is the new uh, putting in the ratings, so yeah. we're, we're just figuring that out. But yeah, if you go to the website, you got you know we've done a, a lot of work over the break to put uh, in ascending and descending order. Mm. My favorite whole list of books we've done. Mm. Same for you, Astro. So mm. it's always can be updated live, so you can just. You know, if you're just hearing now and you want to find out what the best ones or the worst ones, yeah, <laughs> you can find it on the <laughs> we've website. Given out, we've finally, we're going to give our ratings, I reckon, from here on and you can go back to all the old ones. Yeah.